You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. All right. Hey, guys. Good to see you. Thank you for having us here today. Uh, we are just so excited to be with our peeps on the West Side. Um, and uh, thank you for having my wife and I to join any opportunity that we could be uh, with you is really an honor, and um, just love you so much. Thank you for this opportunity. I, I'd like to introduce to you my better half, Jennifer Lopez. Hi, everyone. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much, uh, Stephen Carey, for having us, and Ken and Lena. It is such an honor to be here. The West Side has a very special place in our hearts because back in 1991, it was where we first went in the full-time ministry. We were hired there for the West Side, and we were with the singles, and it was a great time. And um, we have very special connections there with the Izuchuku family, of course, Francine and Chandler Atterbury. Um, we do Thanksgiving with these guys, right? And, um, of course, Angie and Eric, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, and, of course, my mother-in-law, my very special mother-in-law, Mama Bell, Lopez Bell. <laughs> so thank you so much for taking care of our family, especially our son, Daniel Boy. We call him Daniel Boy. So anyway, <laughs> Kenny and all the Pepperdine ministry, thank you for taking care of him. And we're just so grateful for the West Side. You guys are, you guys are family. So thank you for having us. We feel so honored to be here. And there's so many of you that go back in time, back in the 90s, um, well, to see that we're still here, you know, to see your faces and your children. Uh, yeah, we, we go back a long way, and that's family. But I, I do want to give a very special uh, shout-out to uh, two men that, if not for them, I don't think I'd be here today, and that's uh, Ken Shao and Steve Longsbury. Um, before I was a Christian, uh, Ken Shao reached out to me, uh, brought me to my first Bible talk here in L.A. Uh, I'll never forget that, always indebted to Ken Shao, and then my first Bible talk, Manhattan Beach, um, who do I meet? Steve Longsbury. And um, we're both baby Christians, figuring out what to do with life, making mistakes and laughing and having quiet times that we didn't even know what we were reading. And to see us now, uh, it's just by God's grace. But I do want to say thank you for just um, uh, your love and your friendship throughout the years. I love you guys very much. And um, like Jennifer mentioned, there's so many of you we are grateful for. And you know, we're humbled by the opportunity to share with you today about family. Uh, Wes, you have something very special. Um, you have something special in, in your church. You have something special in your city. Uh, we love your area. I, I don't know if you know this, but Jennifer and I, we every so often we tend to get out of the valley because it's about 20 degrees different from here than it is down there. And on Sunday afternoons, we go to Ocean and uh, Montana, and that's sort of our recharge place. Uh, so between five and seven thirty and sunset, we are there, and I'm just I'm just grateful to to know that uh, God has us all together uh, doing great things um, for Him in this city and in this time. And the um, message that that Steve asked me to share about today is to kick off your series called "From Many One." And today um, we would like to just share with you the lessons that we're learning. Uh, we've been back in America now for seven years, and what a, great, what a great opportunity that we are learning and serving here. Prior to that, we've been in Asia and third world for about 20 years. And to say the least, um, we, I'm very humble when Steve asked me to talk about family because I wouldn't think at one point in my life that I'd ever have a family. I'd ever be a husband. I'd ever be a father. I'd be faithful to one wife and to say the least to have a family. And um, I'm grateful to God because he's changed all that. And I think the opportunity that we have on hand is to let people see our love. And to in the shining this dark time, I really believe God is doing something incredible. He's moving the hearts in church. He's moving around us. The spirit is, is setting up for something incredible that we want to be able to explain one day. I honestly believe it. He's refining our hearts. He's opening our eyes. He's setting up the world for the gospel to be presented in a way that it hasn't been presented in a long time. And I want to ask you this. When we get the green light from the Spirit of God, I want to ask you, are you going to be ready? 
Because the church is moving powerfully. There's been a lot of things, a lot of deep discussions. And, and I hope that today, if there's one thing you can leave here, is the understanding of the value of loving one another. From your peeps in the Valley Church, we send you our love from the 818. And I want to talk to you today about from many one. And I want to take it from the book in First Corinthians. You know, as Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, there was a lot of things that were happening at that time. And he wrote them this letter that sort of shocked him. And he was, he was highlighting what was going on, the division. There was some immorality that was going on. Uh, there was some arguing about the idols and the food. Uh, th- there was just a lot of things where the culture in itself was changing the hearts of the disciples in the church. And he wrote this letter in 1 Corinthians, and it comes to a point where he talks about the, 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 the body of Christ, and then he talks about where many parts but one, but then he shocks them in chapter 13 when he talks about love. He talks about the topic of love. And the question I want to ask you today is probably the question the church in Corinth asked themselves was, what's love got to do with it? And I know many of us are thinking right now, we're going back in the 80, 84 to be exact, the Tina Turner song, on what's love got to do with it? Tina Turner in her song is singing about how there's a difference between what, what we call the chemical love of infatuation and the deeper feelings of love that involve a commitment and emotional investment. And, you know, Tina was kind of uh, uh, navigating some crazy feelings there. But love is an important part of life that so many people have a hard time understanding. And the use of Corinthians in, in chapter 13, we hear it many times in weddings. We hear it many times when we fall in love with that special person and we write out 1 Corinthians 13 or husband repenting to their wife and saying, I want to be 1 Corinthians 13 or child to the parent and vice versa. But you know what? When you look at Paul and he writes 1 Corinthians 13, it wasn't really meant to be in it for a, for a, a wedding context. It wasn't really meant to be as someone expressing that their love in a romantic way to another person. Actually, 1 Corinthians 13 was meant for a church that was going through some funky times, that had a lot of drama, that had a lot of different entanglements with the culture, and was had a lot of tension that was going on, that he was trying to help them understand that you need to have Love, not just any kind of love. And that's the kind of message that we see here in 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth, that it was going through challenges and the congregation was full of all kind of drama that was threatening the gospel to the point that it would ruin the witness of the church of Jesus Christ. But then he talks about the gifts of the church, but then he talks about love. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. What's love got to do with it? It has to do a lot with it. And if you don't mind, we're going to be going through the scriptures. Get ready to uh, uh, write in some things in the chat. This first part is going to be a little interactive. And then we're going to talk about some dynamics of church. Then we're going to make a connection on how we could relate it to where we are now and close out with some practicals. Is that cool? All right. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So we see here, they're reading the letter, they're blown away. Paul was very specific on what was going on. He was highlighting the gifts of the church. Then he comes to 1 Corinthians 13. And look what he says here. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nada. I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Wow. Let me ask you this question right now. And go ahead, write in the chat, and then I'll have Steve, uh, Steve or Kenny, 
Maybe you could just share with me some things that you see there. Let me ask you a question, Westside family. Paul writes this passage here after he talks about the gifts. In this passage of verses 1 to 3, let me ask you this question. What do you see were some of the strengths of the church in Corinth? What do you see were some of the strengths of the church in Corinth? Go ahead and write it down. And uh, I guess, Steve, if you could just shoot out what you see there. All right. Generous. Generous. Okay. Possessed to the poor. All right. What else do you see there? Juan Barras says the gifts of the spirit. Gifts of the spirit. Got a lot of gifts there. Faith that can move mountains. Man, they were confident and had a lot of faith that reflected that in the gospel that can move mountains. Knowledge. Knowledge. Yep. Pretty high in IQ there. Understanding. Understanding. Yeah, they're pretty deep. They're pretty deep in their insights. Great musicians, a gong and a cymbal. Gong and a cymbal. There you go. There you go. Great insight. (laughs) Hope. Hope. They had hope. So if you see right there in that passage, that was a pretty powerful church. They were talented. They were gifted. I never saw the insight. They had they're magicians, but you got to figure maybe Paul threw out them to get some attention. But we see some incredible things about the church there. And they were confident. They were visionary. They loved the poor or they, they gave all they possessed to the poor. But you see right there, Paul says you can have all that. You can be all that. You can want all that. You can dream all that. You could talk all that, but if you don't have love, nada. Said so it's like a symbol, a clanging symbol. And that's what he's saying right there. He opens it up to them and just says, man, yeah, you guys are good and giving to the poor. Man, you guys are, you're smart. Man, you, you, you got the gifts. You got it. But there's one thing. If you don't have love. It's nothing. Got their attention. Let's read on. In verse 4, says that love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It does not, it is not proud. It is not this, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always persevere. Pretty powerful. Let me ask you this question now. If you look at this passage here, why do you think Paul listed out these qualities? Why do you think Paul listed out these qualities to the church in Corinth? Is very specific. It was very descriptive. Right, Let me hear from your perspective. Waiting for some responses here. Okay. Because they weren't practicing it. They weren't practicing it. They weren't practicing it. So in other words, they weren't patient. In other words, I'm sorry, go ahead, Steve. I'm sorry, or maybe some of them were. So, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of self-seeking going on. They're easily triggered. Newbie said a lot of, to work on character traits. Work on the character traits. Uh-huh. They were delighting in the evil, but ignoring the truth. And what happened was that people weren't feeling protected. The trust was low. There's not that much hope. And it was easy to give up. Paul uh, was breaking it. I'm, I'm sorry? Sorry, sir. Uh, Patricia says these describe God alone. Describes God alone. Paul was trying to help them understand the things that they were missing. But he was very specific. Because sometimes we could say we love other people. 
sometimes we could say that, yes, I'm a loving person, but then what happens is that if we really don't look deeper, we can totally misunderstood what true love is supposed to be. But what happened was here in the church in Corinth, they were allowing the culture to influence the way they treated each other. Therefore, it was no longer a safe place. There was no longer a kingdom environment and no longer was it gospel-centered. Paul was trying to help them see there's one thing that they were missing, and that is the ability to love one another the way Christ loved. And when you have that kind of love that Christ wants us to have, people feel accepted. Failure is not fatal. Judging people is very minimal. When people make mistakes, there's a lot of grace, there's a lot of mercy. And what happens is that you have an attitude, an environment that reflects that of Christ. And, you know, many corporations today, I have a lot of friends in, in C-suite leaderships that have their own companies. They all understand the importance of psychological safety. They all understand the importance of building trust. You know, every so often I have a conference call with groups of leaders uh, throughout the world that I've tried to stay connected as well, try to share the gospel with them. And not too long ago, we had Simon Sinek, famous author, famous thinker, great thinker. And he said something that was pretty profound. And it said this, if you're constantly trying to find the right people for the right bus, you're doing it wrong. History tells us that when you put good people in bad situations, they usually end up doing bad things. If you put bad people in good situations, they may, they many, they many times end up learning to do good things. Environment is the key. You don't need the right people for the bus. You just need a better bus. And that's what Paul was trying to help them understand was that you gotta bring back the importance of loving like Christ, to love one another the way God wants us to love. And right here you see in verses 8 to 12, he says that love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part that I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. What Paul we see right here, what he was inspiring the church in Corinth, was to go to another level of depth, of maturity on learning how to love the way Christ wants us to love. And it's an ongoing process. We're going to learn to love till the day we see Christ face to face. And I don't know about you, but for me, I know when I'm having a bad day is when I am not, uh, when I'm short, when I'm triggered, when I'm not loving the way I need to love. And as a parent, I love my children. I love my wife. You've seen Jennifer. When you see her, you know it's only the grace of God. Um, you see my children, all the good things from Jennifer, all the bad things from me. I am humbled by the fact that I get the opportunity to learn what it really means to love the way Christ loves me and to learn how to love people the way God wants us. This is so important that I hope if there's anything you can leave here today is understanding the importance of loving one another, not intellectually, not in a way that we're familiar with, but in an opportunity and ability to go to another level in our depth and love with one another. So he continues to the church and he says this, and now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. He wrote something similar to the church in Thessalonica. He said, the church of Thessalonica, you needed faith, love, and hope. But here he tells to the church in Corinth is that you need faith, hope, and love. 
You know what we need today is love. And like the famous song that we all know, where is the love? And I hope and pray that when people ask where is the love, that anyone that calls themselves a, a follower of Christ, that made Jesus Lord of their life, that a community, a church that really follows the cross, that we can be a light to this world. We have an opportunity today. But the question I ask yourself is this, and ask ourselves is this, What's the big deal about love? Is it still a big deal in our life? See, the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, they talked about the spiritual gifts. He talked about we're one body in many parts. And then he goes to 1 Corinthians 14 and says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And he goes on and talks about the resurrection. But he talks about you have many gifts. You are so different from one another. You're so special. And he says that with all those gifts, use it to glorify Christ. But here's the missing link from the gifts, from the talent, from the IQ, from the depth, from the understanding, from the singing, to being able to use. Where's the missing link? This is it in 1 Corinthians 13. Love. I give you Jennifer. You know, the problem in Corinth was that they didn't see the connection, right? They had all this faith, they had all this love, um, hope, knowledge, understanding, but they missed. They missed love. They didn't see the connection that, you know, our relationship with God and our relationship with people go hand in hand. It's not separate. It goes hand in hand. It's like in Matthew 22, 37 to 41, we all are very familiar with this scripture, right? It's loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. You know, everything in the Bible, all the scriptures are summed up, summed up in this scripture. It's simple. Love God and love one another. You know, and during this pandemic and all the racial tensions, you know, God is, God is calling us to take our love deeper. You know, as we're not seeing each other uh, like we like we used to, right? At Sunday services, at midweeks, at Bible talks, family, we're not seeing each other physically. So we are called to take our love so much deeper. You know, people of different are we're different, right? We come with different ages, cultures, experiences, personalities. Um, but you know, the more we mature and grow in our, in our understanding of God's love for us, and we love God back. The overflow of that love in our relationship with God ought to flow in our love for one another. You know, that was God's design. That's what he intended for us. You know, I think about, you know, when someone is different, right? We, we, we naturally, as human beings, we easily connect with people that are like ourselves, right? We can relate to that. We, we speak the same language, same culture, similar ages. Uh, it's easy to love one another. But when we're different, it's a challenge. You know, I remember being in Cambodia, and we were serving in a, in a community, and we were giving out rice, and it was a poor community. And there was a woman in there. There was a woman there that was uh, sharing how her husband was dying, and she had four children, little children, and, and she didn't know what to do. So we went to her little tent, and I remember standing back, feeling like, oh, I, I can't speak the language, so I'm just going to let those that can speak the language connect. I'm going to stand back. And as she was sharing, they were translating for me. And I couldn't relate to her, right? I don't know what it's like to grow up poor and live in a, live in a you know, a tarp over my head and, 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 you know, live in a poor situation like that. So my tendency was to be detached and I remember Caesar encouraging me to step in, step inside, and put my arm around her. And at first, I didn't want to. But I did. And the moment I stepped in and put my arm around her, I could feel her pain. You know, it's so easy to be, to stay detached. And to not allow our hearts to feel for others because we can't relate. And I know what that's like. That's what I, that's what I was doing right there. But the moment I allowed myself 
to go in and touch the woman, put my arm around her, I could feel her pain. You know, and that was the spirit of God because that doesn't come from myself. You know, at this time, I believe that's God's calling for us is to connect with others that are not like us. Different ages, different cultures, different experiences. You know, even with, you know, the George Floyd and what happened to him, I think that for me to go there and to imagine if he was my brother, if he was my uncle, if he was a relative, how would I feel? And to allow my heart to connect with that. And my heart just broke. And to listen to our brothers and sisters, our African-American brothers and sisters, and their stories. You know, even though I've never walked that life, just to hear it and to connect with it was so powerful. To listen to one another. You know, that's God's design. To not only have knowledge and faith, and to love him, but to love one another. And that's what it means, is, is to walk in each other's shoes. You know, most of us, we've experienced this when we study the Bible. We share our lives vulnerably. We were humble with each other. We studied the cross together. And we experienced and understood God's love for us. And we received it together as we sat in that Bible study. And we are bonded forever in heart and soul with those people who studied with us because they were vulnerable and we were vulnerable with them and we studied the cross and we understood God's love for the first time. You know, that's that's the love that God was talking about. Love him and love one another. But, you know, as time goes on, you know, we sin, people sin against us and our hearts toward one another start to get hardened. Right? We start to be guarded and we start to protect our hearts and we even start to be judgmental. And it's not even safe anymore. You know, it's easy to say, I love God. You know, that, that's not a problem. Well, now, loving that sister, that's a different story, right? That sister makes me struggle, right? We can all relate with that, right, ladies? You know, I, we have this this feeling. I know what she's going to say. If we're struggling, we don't want to share because we're like, we're, we know what they're going to say. But, you know, this is God's call for us is to love each other. And the, and the people in Corinth, loving God, having great faith, no problem. But they missed it. They didn't see the connection. That loving God and loving one another goes hand in hand. But we need help with that. You know, how do we put this into practice? We know it in our minds, in our brains, but how do we do it? We need more help on this, and we're going to talk about more about, about that later. Thank you, babe. You know, in... in Chapter 12, verse um, 24, Paul says that God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there be no dissension. That's a powerful passage because there's a God arranged. You know, you and I, where we are today, because of God's design. You and I, where we at, not by accident, but by God's design. And if we don't have love, It'll be difficult to see why God has us where we're at today. Like Jennifer said, it was humbling to be able to serve in Cambodia and hear about how people, families were executed in front of their very eyes. To, to, to hear and, and hear the, the stories of, of people in the Philippines lost in one night and buried in the mudslide. And you know what? As time goes on, and even what we've all experienced the last couple of weeks, we don't know when COVID's going to go back or when things are supposed to go back to a different stage of of connecting. We don't know what's going to happen with the racial tension. We don't know what's going to happen with the elections coming on. But there's one thing that if we stop doing, that we will fail. If there's one thing that we stop doing, everything that we lived and come to this point will be nothing. If there's one thing that we stop doing, we will become impatient. We will become easily triggered. If there's one thing we stop doing, then we will just be a sounding gong, a sounding symbol, all talk, no action. What is that one thing when we stop loving you and I, one another? That's what happened with Corinth, and that's what Paul was trying to plead with them. Guys, you're missing the boat here. You got all the right components, but you're not 
loving one another. There's something powerful. When we open our hearts and we're willing to learn what it means to love. I'll never forget when I first met Ken Chow. He came and visited me at our family business. And I said, man, this guy's pretty cool. In fact, he could become a Christian. I could become a Christian. So it was a hotel restaurant. I left everybody there. We went out to go eat. Then we came back, and he dropped me off. And in our parking lot, uh, he said, can we pray? And I said, sure, let's pray. And then he held out his hand like this. And I said, I didn't know what he was doing. Is he asking for money? Is I paid for lunch. Is he asking for a handshake? He said, let's pray. He wanted to hold my hand and pray. And I said, okay. So he held my hand and prayed, and I'll never forget, all the employees at our restaurant were staring at me in the car, holding this guy's hand with our eyes closed. You know what? Um, from that time to now, uh, I, I've learned the value of loving one another. There's something powerful when we allow God to continue to shape our hearts to love. That's what the cross, the cross is not only a one-time event. The cross is not only a young Christian's uh, celebration. A cross is cruciformity. It's continually, it's continually changing us to become more like Christ, to love the way he wants us to. Don't be a symbol. Don't be easily triggered. Don't keep records of wrong. Let us learn to love the way Christ wants us to love. That was the connection that Paul was trying to say. I bring you greetings from the valley. This is the 818 over there on a clean, on a clear day. Nowadays it's a little more clear. You know, we're living in times where there's a lot of uh, attention. And when we first moved here seven years ago, August will be seven years, we noticed something in our ministry that was, that was, that it was a great ministry, but like any ministry, there's always room to grow and improvement. And there's one thing that we realized that there was a lot of generational tension in, in our ministry. If you look at nowadays, this is what you see in the generation birth of years that we are living in today. This is the first time in history when you have so many generations alive at one time trying to live and work together. This is the uh, breakdown of our uh, of our ministry here. We have about 400 people in the valley. We have about seven generations represented. You have the silent generation all the way to iGen to Gen Z. If you look at it there, the Zenennials, uh, 30%, 1975 to 85. You know, this is, this is what you have. So when you have this kind of generation that we, when we first arrived here, we realized that there was a lot of tension. And the tension came across like, well, that older generation doesn't understand me, therefore I feel exasperated. Or the younger generation felt like I don't feel valued because the older generation keeps telling me I need to be like this. And the older generation felt like, well, the only time the younger generation wants to connect with me and when it's fundraising for, for team camp or for uh, some sort of campus event. There was a lot of tension. The tension came up also when they said that, well, why do we always have to sing this song, contemporary? Why can't we go to the old school hymns? There was a lot of tension to the point where it was affecting the hearts of the brothers and sisters. This gave us an opportunity to really to dive into these tensions and understand the importance. If we're supposed to call to, to, uh, to be a witness to all nations and generations, then we've got to make sure that we love one another in our intergenerations. Also, we see the ethnicity in our group. The valley is very diverse. You see right there, these numbers pretty much reflect the demographics in the city overall to the percentage whatnots very similar. In our church, 44% is Latino, 23% is Caucasian, 17% is Asian, African-American, 14%, other 2%. To add on to that, we have a very predominant uh, deaf community. I saw Amanda Cornish there, loved their family so much. My wife and I, we, we, we serve with the deaf ministry. We love them very much. It's a very diverse and in that diversity, people were feeling like I can't be heard. I, I'm not, I don't feel special. So we started understanding for how do we celebrate in our differences? So Gary Smith, who's African American from South Carolina and his wife was from South Central LA, half Korean, half African American, had on the heart, can we have something where we could celebrate black history, African 
uh, month. And it's been powerful. I mean, you talk about the soul food was delicious. You have some of the Asians say, hey, Asian American month, can we do something to celebrate our our, our heritage and, and tell people about Jesus through our heritage. You know, and what happened was people were trying to figure out how can we celebrate in our diversity. Why am I sharing with you all of this? Because we're very happy with our diversity. We're very content, but the goal is to love one another. So the goal to love one another doesn't mean that we just need to be content, but we got to be willing to appreciate our differences, but go deeper with one another. And this last past couple months has definitely done that. The question today is this. What is the Spirit of God trying to show you? Jennifer? You know, God is always trying to gain our attention, right? And when we're hitting a bump with someone or we're having a disagreement, frustration, anger, God is trying to get our attention. And I know for me recently, I was having a disagreement with an older sister. Um, a different generation. I believe it's the boomers, right? I'm, I'm Gen um, X, right? And she was the boomers. And I'm like, she doesn't get it, right? And, um, and I was avoiding her. I was like, I don't want to have a disagreement with her. I kept her at arm's length. Uh, but I realized I had to engage. Uh, I had to speak what was in my heart because it was a very important issue. I had to deal with what was under the iceberg. And, uh, you know, I was projecting my feelings as, as if she was my mother because she was, she's very strong-willed and my mom's strong-willed and there was an unhealthy dynamic. And I was projecting that onto this sister and I was avoiding her, trying to skirt around her. And I realized I can't do that. I got to speak the truth. It was burning in my heart. And uh, we had a talk, and it wasn't a, a nice talk. It was a hard talk, and it was difficult for me. I don't like conflict. I'm the one that that's not confrontational, right? If you know me, I'm I'm the one that's kind of gentle, quiet. You know, I don't fight with people. I, you know, that's just my personality. And here I was. I had to confront my own fears and talk to this stronger, dominant personality sister who was older who was like my mother's age, and speak to her and speak the truth in love. And God was getting my attention. I had to work through the unhealthy ways, the unbiblical ways that I deal with conflict. And um, realizing that, you know what, this sister is not my mother. Right? She is my sister in Christ. That is like my mother. But she's not my mother, right? And I was projecting these unhealthy characteristics to her that was really unfair. And I read it's a scripture, Mark 3, 31 to 34. It says, who are my mother and my brothers? Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And it really, God really used that scripture and this tense situation to show me something. You know, that my mother and my sisters and brothers are those who do God's will. And uh, I, I started to see this sister in a very different light as I had a breakthrough, a personal breakthrough, and transform my way of thinking. And, you know, when we are transforming, we're able to help others transform. You know, and God is using this time of, you know, racial tensions and pandemic time to take, help us to take our love deeper and to show us things in our hearts and our characters that we need to grow in. And here was God putting, getting my attention and putting it right in front of, front of me. It starts with my own heart. That starts with my own heart. And, and to be able to dive in and, and deal with this has been refreshing for me. And so um, I just wanted to share that, that God is always trying to get our attention, specifically in this time of the COVID and the racial tensions. God is trying to get our attention. That attention, you got to ask yourself, what is the Spirit of God trying to show me? We want to leave you with this thought as we close out with practicals is this. Be intentional. Love one another. Love one another. We have an opportunity to learn how to love one another in ways we have not yet learned. We haven't arrived yet. There's a reason why God still has you on this earth with the situation, with the challenges, but that person is making me struggle. Well, maybe that's where the Spirit of God say, come here, let me show you a little more areas that needs me working on to expand, to grow. Wherever it's uncomfortable, that's the opportunity. That's the Spirit saying, come here. Yes, it's easy to love people that we know that we, that like us or we like them. But how about going to the place like the Good Samaritan 
going somewhere where it calls us to be uncomfortable. And you may not know how to do it intellectually. Maybe you don't know all the psychological components of it or the right approach. But let me tell you this. If you're open to learn how to love like Christ, you know what? You're going to grow. And God will be glorified. So some quick practicals, if you don't mind. You know, uh, Steve wanted us to share with you some things that we've learned about being family out here. And one of them is being intentional in the connections. This was definitely uh, pre-COVID, but um, there's something that we realized that we needed to do to really break down the uh, the generational tension. And what was so cool about being able to break down and, and really faithfully go after generational tension, it really gave us opportunities to talk about things that we're very uncomfortable with in the last couple of months, to be able to hear the stories, to be able to speak the truth in love. If we had ignored those tensions before, I think it would have been very difficult to have the discussions that we have now. But what are some things that we needed to do? We needed to be family. We needed to be ohana. We needed to be a group that really loves one another, no longer just in ministry silos, but really one family. So we have generational, I'm sorry, intergenerational camping where you have the singles, the campus, the teens, everybody going out together as a family every year. We can't do it this year, and I don't know if we could do virtual camping. That might be a little different, but that was something something that's been very inspiring for our ministry. We've had village Bible talks, intergenerational, with teens and parents. Seven years ago, when we first moved here, we saw parents with teens having a hard time, and we said, hey, I'm with you. Let's all come together. And what we did, we started something where we brought the parents and the teens and learned how to love one another, resolve conflict, fast-forwarded. Uh, that Bible talk grew. Many people became Christians. Those who did not become Christians never felt like they weren't loved and knew that we are walking with them in their journey. Matter of fact, two of the people that were baptized in that village Bible talk just got married about two months ago. And that was one of them, was my son and another girl. Anyways, you know how that goes. Um, the Lord. Uh, another thing is vision nights. We have on the fifth week of, when there's a month with five weeks, we all come together. It's a potluck. And you know what? We just eat and have fun and connect with each other. you got to be intentional with connections. Well, I know it's a little different with COVID, but where there's a will, where there's a way, where there's love, you'll find a way. Be intentional. Secondly, uh, one thing I really enjoyed was exploring the doubts together. I had a dinner call exploring the doubts together. And what I did was I brought some of the teens that had so many doubts, but I loved them. They called me Tito, uncle. And, and I loved them. So let's all come together. You come to my house. Let's have a meal. And I want to do something with you guys. It was part of my school project, but it was a pretty cool project. And I said, today, I want to talk about different doubts that you have. And what I want us all to do is to listen to each person's doubt, and I don't want you to disciple them. I don't want you to judge them. I want you to own the doubt and, and ask questions on why they doubt or why they have that doubt. And, and what happened was it created such a great connection that everyone felt valued. Everyone felt it was a safe place. They are asking for another time when we all can get together and explore those areas. Once again, it was looking at teens that some people saw as tension points, but really it was the spirit saying, let's go there and let's figure out what love can do. Jennifer, you want to talk about the other practical learning how to love? Yeah, so another thing that we're doing actually right now in the Valley is we're doing emotionally healthy relationships. And um, some of you guys may not know this, but I am also a licensed therapist. And, you know, knowing what's going on inside of our hearts is very important. And if we're going to love God with all of our heart, part of that is being aware of what's actually in our hearts, right? And because, you know, we're not robots. we got to be aware of what's in there uh, and give ourselves permission to feel. Otherwise, we become, we can become cold or become like, um, you know, legalistic, right? If we're in, and, and it is work. It is work to become aware of what's going on inside of our hearts. It's difficult to enter into someone else's life experiences if we haven't entered our own, right? And so one of the things we're doing is um, emotionally healthy spirituality and emotionally healthy relationships, and it's all biblically aligned, and it just gives us this, this structure of how to process 
um, with no judgment, with safety. You know, we don't give each other feedback. It's time to talk about, you know, uh, journeying through the wall, you know, uh, enlarging our soul through grief and loss, right? And then learning, and then the relationship part of it is, you know, how to, how to not have negative assumptions, right? And they give us tools, like, Instead of having a negative assumption, we go, I'm puzzled, right? Or I'm wondering versus, you know, what are you doing, right? It's more teaching us how to engage. So it's it's been really life-changing. And there's a lot of humility and vulnerability, you know, as we're learning to practically love one another. You know, and when we do that, you know, people are impacted. You know, we've seen, you know, four people get baptized this last month. So we're... It's not about getting, you know, nasal gazing and getting interest, you know, getting inward. Yes, we're taking care of ourselves so that we can love well. We can learn how to love well. And when we do that, God brings in the fruit. And it's just been a powerful, life-changing growth time for us in our relationship with God and with each other. When we uh, shared about loving one another and when we everyone shared their stories, we definitely got to hear stories um, of what people experience, um, African-American brothers and sisters, uh, those who felt marginalized. When you hear the stories of our brothers and sisters through a death, it's just so it's so um, it's so convicting and humbling. And yet when everything high was as as, as temperatures rose in, in the society and the culture, and a lot of people are feeling things. We didn't want to just assume that go talk to each other, love one another. We wanted to do our best to equip them to how to have conversations. So we've been doing this for 16 weeks. I'm grateful for the women who went ahead. They kept telling the husbands and the men, can you guys do this? We please, we're waiting for you. And I kept telling them, I'm sorry, we don't need this. The women, the guys are okay, but the women need it. And then lo and behold, we've realized the guys, we need it. Um, but I tell you what. When you work on yourself emotionally, it's definitely going to influence you spiritually. So that's why God said, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the cool thing is that it doesn't only teach you how to love one another, but it shines. If you look in the upper left-hand corner, these are two guys that I'm studying the Bible with. One of them is Tyrell, and he's a regional uh, uh, manager for Crunch Gym. He's the one that signed me up. Um, and he's been studying the Bible along with his fiance. And this is my other buddy, Stefano. He's an Indonesian and Italian and love race cars. So we talk about it all the time. Uh, but they join our classes and they said, we are so thankful that this is a church that has the, uh, a willingness to really go deeper and talk about our emotions. And please be praying for them. You know what? Jesus says, love the Lord with all heart. I said, love one another, but we have to be intentional and be open to learn how to love one another. The last practical we leave you with this is that you got to make room in your heart. you got to make room in your heart. Jen, do you want to share something on this, babe? No, it's not yours, honey. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, uh, it's been convicting um, hearing the different stories and looking at my own heart. And when we moved here seven years ago, um, I'll never forget that um, – you know, my, my, my dad became a Christian in the Philippines. There were, um, a lot of our relatives became Christians, we're grateful for. But I'll never forget when, uh, my father passed away in 1996. My mom was there, she came over, um, my sisters were there. And then after the, I think the second or third day, um, a lady came up to me and said that, uh, you know what, you're, your half-sister is waiting for you outside. And I said, what? I got a half-sister? And he said, yeah. And, and I went and met her, and, and I remember my mom and dad talking about her when she was younger or when I was younger. But I never really came to full grips of, of accepting the fact that I have a half-sister. So I met her, and I saw her. And I said, yep, sure enough, that's my half-sister. And we connected in the Philippines, but when I left, when we returned, I didn't want nothing to do with her. Um, I, I just didn't want to. And the last couple of years, she's been trying to request me to be a friend on Facebook, and I just kept ignoring. And you know, when I um, when I looked at my own heart the last couple of 
weeks. I realized that's not right. It's to say I love one another and and not to accept or embrace her as my half sister was convicting. And um, I made every excuse of not accepting her as a, as a friend, though she's connected with all my other relatives, my mom, my sister. Um, but I had to change her heart. And uh, this is my uh, half-sister. And this is her name, Cesarlita. Now you could put it together. Um, I got to thinking that it was wrong, but I got to think about her situation. She lives in a very poor part of the Philippines. She lives in a chicken farm. She doesn't have what we have. And for so long, I had to, I hardened my heart to not accept her as my half-sister. And that wasn't right. So I accepted requests. We're reaching out to each other. We're connecting each other. But I know I realized that I needed to make room in my own heart. You know, today, I don't know who your sister Lita is. Today, I don't know where or what's limiting your heart from growing. But let me tell you, wherever it is, it's uncomfortable. You could either turn away from the pain or really ask the Spirit of God to show you how to go there and what to do with it. Maybe you may not have all the answers, but if you're willing to love one another, mm. I promise you, God will be glorified and you will be able to experience what it means to walk like Christ and live like someone who's been changed by the cross. So this is my half-sister. I hope you get to meet her one day. And I hope that today really helped you to understand that the most excellent way that Paul was trying to communicate to the church in Corinth, to the church today in 2020, is love. Thank you. God bless you. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.